And now we have Jesus walking on Samaritan soil. We have Jesus going to a well in Samaria. And he's at a time of the day that seems to be about the noon time. And uh, most of the other women had already come. So this woman shows up at noon, which shows she probably wasn't welcome with the other women. Wonder why? You know why. Are you thinking? You know, because this whole story, she tries to change the subject on Jesus. And Jesus says, go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband in this story. And Jesus says, you said that right because you've had five of them. And the one you're with now is not your husband. So probably she wasn't popular, popular among the men, but not very popular among the other women. So she shows up by herself. I mean, if you study their culture, you'll show that most all the women came together to the well to get water. That was one of their jobs. And you see that even in other countries, even now, where they don't have good water. And, you know, and I would like to tell you, man, some of, some of the reports from Mission Field that we support, that even as you just worship God and give here, you're supporting God's work all over the world. And, and some of this goes into even drilling wells in some of these places. And, um, but you see that the women go to the well, and, and they will, like, carry this big bucket of water on their heads. You ever, you see, isn't that amazing? Anyway, I don't know why. I just thought of that, and I came out my mouth i had to say it but uh, but that's similar to what maybe is happening here and jesus is not only in samaria but did you know he asked that woman he doesn't have anything to get water he asked her for a drink do you know why that's so amazing did you know that most of the pharisees and the jews the religious people they would have considered it to make you unclean if you drank out of the same vessel as a samaritan but here's the lord Here's Jesus, and he goes right to her and asks her for a drink from her pitcher. That's, that's, that's amazing. And um, as he brings up this whole thing about living water or flowing water, that, that you never have to come get water again, she wants to know about it. Well, she, she is interested. And then he says, go get your husband, and that whole thing happens, so she tries to change the subject, right, to, well, you know, our people say we worship here, and you Jews say down there, who's right? You know, start an argument over religion, right? And, uh, but she's wanting to talk about the place of worship, but Jesus wants to talk about the person of worship, okay? That's where we're going with this. Now, let me read this again. We're going to pick up with the story in chapter 4. Verse 19, after Jesus said, you know, uh, you said it right and told her about things about herself that he shouldn't have been able to know. And so she perceived that you're someone special. Verse 19, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And that's where she changes the subject. She says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. That was Mount Gerizim there in Samaria. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. So she's kind of like, who's right? Then Jesus says in verse 21, woman, now when he says that, in their, in their language and in their culture, that was the equivalent as if you would say in ours, ma'am, ma'am. Okay, you understand. So he's like, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. The scriptures were through, given through them, and uh, they had the, the truth. So, and that's why he said salvation is of the Jews. And plus the Messiah, the Savior, the Deliverer, was promised to come through the tribe of Judah. Anyway, verse 23, The hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. See, she knew a little bit, didn't she? That is Christ, who is called Christ. Christ, Messiah, same thing. It means the anointed one, the deliverer. 
that God was sending. Messiah comes from the Hebrew word. Christ comes from the Greek word, but they mean the same thing. Okay, just so you know that. And so, like, I know, now she's changing the subject again. Well, I know the Messiah's coming. And when he comes, he'll tell us everything. He'll straighten us out on this. Ah, boy, she's right there, isn't she? She has no idea. Or does she? Then he says, I'm just going to tell you. (laughs) I, who speak to you, am. I am. That's literally what it says in the original language, I am. That's powerful, isn't it? So now, last week, we talked about the Jesus kind of changes the whole subject to worship, the priority of worship. And the second thing we talked about was the place of worship because she said, is it here, is it there? And Jesus is trying to say that it's not a geographical location. Worship is not tied to that. It happens in your heart. It's a state of the heart and the mind and the attitude and the deepest part of you, okay? That's what we talked about last week. Um, we talked about how that worship, that worshiping God is foundational to the Christian life. Everything else flows from this. If we don't have this right, all the other stuff we do is just busy stuff. Okay, it's not going to have what it should have. Everything we do, all the ministry, all the fellowship, all the helps, all the whatever it is, has to flow out of our relationship with God, and and it is God doing His work in us and through us, and it flows out of worship. And for a lot of people, even they've been in church all their life, what we call worship, what God calls worship, may not be the same thing. And that's part of what we talked about. And we're continuing to talk about it. And our goal is that we're praying that we might have a more biblical worship. It's got to be tied to God's truth as we're going to see. We've got to worship in spirit and in truth, a more focused worship and a more pure worship. Now today, since we talked about the priority and the place of worship, Jesus is really getting her to the point he wants to get to, and that's the person of worship. All right, do you have that? Uh, Because you see, then he says that those who worship the Father. Now, this is such a big word. To worship in the Bible, the Hebrew and Greek word both mean to just like bow and to be reverent, okay? I like an illustration that comes from way back from um, William Temple who defined worship as, quote, the submission of all of our nature to God. The submission, to submit all of my nature to God It is the quickening of conscience by His holiness, the nourishment of the mind with His truth, the purifying of the imagination of His beauty, the opening of the heart to His love, the surrender of the will to His purpose. That's a mouthful, and I'm going to keep that quote because uh, I, I, I tell you what, there's a lot of truth there. But Jesus wants her to focus on the person of worship. He says in verse 22, we know what we worship. Um, And you... Don't really know, right? Do we really know? You say, I'm going to church, I'm going to worship God. But the question is, do you really know the God you're worshiping? Who are you worshiping and and why? What's it for? Well, who is he? Jesus says, they will worship the Father. Did you see that? They will worship the woman. He says, the, the woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you'll neither in this mountain or in Jerusalem worship the Father. First of all, you need to know who this God is. He's not only the creator, owner of the universe. He is the Father over all creation. That worship, are you getting this? The Father. He made it all. He owns it all. That's part of what we've been already worshiping Him because of that today. He made it. He owns it. And deserves to be worshipped. Psalm verse 21. Psalm chapter 24 verse 1. 
The earth is the Lord's and all its... Who, the earth is whose? The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. The world and those who dwell within. It all belongs to God is what he's saying. So if, if, especially if you're a Christian, God is not only the Father over all creation. If you're saved, that means he's your Father in a special kind of way because you've become part of his family. And he is your Father. He's your Heavenly Father who deserves to be worshipped. But when he's... Our Father, not just over all creation, but He's also the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though Father, Son, Holy Spirit are co-equal, co-eternal, that's deep stuff. Yet, this is the way the Bible presents He is. And because of that, that makes all the difference. Listen, to, let me just let Paul tell it in Ephesians 1.3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? Because I want to document what we say with Scripture. He says, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, with our heavenly blessings that we have, and we have them from our Father because of Christ. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. I mean, this is deep stuff. Here's the point. You want to know what the point of this is? Is that you cannot worship the Father if you bypass Christ. You can't worship the Father if you bypass the Son. Can't do it. You might think you're doing it, but according to the Bible, you really can't do it. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Let's get something more on that. Paul says this, There is one God and one mediator. That's a go-between. Between God and men are humans, and that's the man, Jesus Christ. And I like the way he says the man, Jesus Christ, because Christ... Even though he's co-equal, co-eternal with the Father as God, yet he became flesh. He became human. He became a man. And so he's the only one who came and identified with us so that he could identify us with him. There is one mediator that is available between human beings and God the Father, and that is Jesus. And there's really no way to bypass him. So some may claim to be worshiping God. Some might even be claiming to use the name of Jesus. But you also have to ask the question, is the God and the Jesus that you're talking about in line with the God, the Jesus of the Bible? Because there's people that will knock on your door, and they use the word about, you know, they'll talk about God, they'll talk about Jehovah, they'll talk about Jesus, they'll talk about Son of God, things like that. See, sometimes what the enemy likes to do, too, is to take words that we use from the Bible and redefine them, like even repentance and salvation and things like that. Uh, so you've got to say, we're saying the same words, but do we mean the same things? So what I want to do is base what I believe on this, okay? And, and that's what you've got to examine yourself. Everybody has to examine is what I what I believe about God really accurate with Scripture or is it created in my own mind or somewhere else? I've got to have a foundation here. I can't just make up what, whatever I want to as I go. It's got to be based in the Word of God. So anyway, he's Father, this God we're worshiping. He is Father of all creation, Father of our Lord Jesus. But he also tells us that another thing about God is God is spirit, the person of worship. God is spirit. Do you see that in verse 24? He said, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. What does that mean, God is spirit? Well, that means that his essence is, this is deep stuff, are you ready? Is not material, not corporeal. When we talk about corporate worship, that means we're all physically here together. And so we're talking about it's deeper than that. Um, and, and so it's not just physical. Um, one place where it talks about that is 1 Timothy 1.17, where Paul says, Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible. 
Did you hear that? Invisible. To God, who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. God is not just limited to some physical thing. That's why he said, don't go making idols or anything to try to be, represent my likeness, because there's nothing like me. Okay, so it's beyond flesh. So here's the thing. If you're going to worship this immortal, invisible God, your worship must arise from the invisible part of you, your spirit. That is that eternal part of you that no surgeon can find. There's that part of you that is, that is created by God that's going to exist forever in eternity. It's got to arise from your spirit if you're really going to worship God. Uh, because God is spirit. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 18, he says this, To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare with him? Now, I know there are places in the Bible where it uses, can, can I throw something out there, big word? Are you, Wayne, are you ready for this? You better buckle your seatbelt. <laughs> They're called anthropomorphisms. That's where you take some kind of human thing. You know, they do it all the time on Disney. You know, where they try to take animals and make them seem like they're humans. They're not. Bambi didn't really cry. Never mind. Let's, okay. I know you may have, but, but there's times when God is relating to us. He may use human things to try to... For, that's just so we can relate and understand, right? Okay. But Isaiah then brings us to the truth. Like, who are we going to liken to God? There's nothing like him. Nothing in the physical universe can give you an accurate vision of God because God is so far above and unlike anything. Our minds can even grasp. That's how awesome he is. As we say, God is transcendent. That's one of his qualities. That means he transcends over and above. See, we want a God that fits in our mind. We want a God that's logical. I want a God, if I can't see him, if I can't understand him, I ain't going to believe him. Well, see, the problem with that is if I could see him, I could understand him. If he fit in my mind, as you know, it wouldn't be a very big God. And the other thing is, if I could see him, if I could uh, get all of it in my logical mind, I could probably control him. Then I'm kind of like God, too. Hmm? He's transcendent. What that means is he's totally distinct from his creation. I mean, we, we can't say anything's like, we can't make any comparison unless God himself grants that comparison. Because we can do it a little bit, but nothing goes all the way. Because he's so far above and he's so far beyond, there's nothing really like, he is distinct from all his creation. There is nothing like him. He is unique, one of a kind. A lot of people's idea of God and who he is comes from their own thinking. You know, just logically, we want to try to fit it in there. And not from the scripture. So a lot of people have a warped or a twisted view of God. What happens is, is it becomes, well, I believe a God, and it becomes a God of my own making. I almost want to dumb it down where I can control it. And, and that's why many people uh, feel free to do some of the things that they do and live the way that they live. They've made God so small, he just kind of winks at what they're doing. And that's tragic. And so the thing about it is, brothers and sisters, the only flesh and blood representation and example that you and I can get, God gave. He gave it to us in the person of his son. 
The only flesh and blood understanding of God you're going to ever get is the person of Jesus Christ who came. And over and over in Scripture, it said he came to reveal the Father. He came to reveal the Father. In fact, the writer of Hebrews said he's the exact image of him. And so in the flesh, he came to reveal to us the Father. So that's the only flesh and blood representation that you're going to get. And because God is a spirit that is so vast, he compasses the whole universe. So if you're going to be able to picture God and know God, you've got to know him the way he revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ. All right. So anyway, so he is Father. He is Father, Lord Jesus Christ. He is spirit, Bible says, and he's also the focus of all worship. That's what Jesus is trying to get her mind on, who God is, and he is the focus. So because God is the object of our worship, the issue then isn't how... So he's the object. The issue... Are you, stay with me now. The issue isn't how good I feel when I come to worship. There's nothing wrong with feeling good. In fact, I like to feel good. I do. There's nothing wrong with feeling good about worship. But that's not what it's all about. That's a byproduct. The issue is, I don't think y'all are listening. Are you? I mean, you just don't look like it. Okay, now you do. You're like, (laughs) the issue isn't how good I feel about it. The issue is, how how good did God feel about it? Because we're worshiping him. He's the focus. Do you see what I'm saying? If we're not careful, the whole experience becomes more about me than it is about God. It's what I like. It's about my preferences. It's about what, you know, I want to tell you, when I begin to see him as he is, as Lauren already shared with us, this is the truth. You can't really see yourself till you see him. He's your creator. But when I begin to really worship God and I begin to see God as he is, I begin to see myself as I am. And there's some things that I get uncomfortable about with me. There's some things I don't want to see about me. So I want to tell you some of the most powerful times of worship are times not necessarily when I'm celebrating and praising and thanking God. It may be times when I'm overwhelmed with his holiness and his love and his grace and I feel like I need to get on my face before him because I see things in my life that's not matching up, but I want it to. And I'm asking for his help. And I'm surrendering it to him. Sometimes, sometimes the best worship is the worship where you're not that comfortable. But he gives us all of it. You know, because a lot of times we stand up sing a song. And then it's kind of, I don't like that song. It's not being sung to you. You know? You got to make up your mind, I'm going to focus on God. Because we come to church with that mentality. Like, worship teams, sing to me. And we do that. We have, you know, in the old days, we just, and we do it sometimes still. We just have, have a special. We just do specials. And, and that's good. And let us worship God and let everybody be involved. But sometimes it's kind of like, I want to come sit here and everybody minister to me. Sing to me. Entertain me. I don't want to tell you. I know there's a problem sometimes in church. We want to do things. We want to keep people's attention. People say, well, man, it's just, you know, we're focusing too much on entertainment. But I'm telling you, if you say, I've got to have it this way, and I want it done that way, and I want a choir that sounds like this, and I want someone to get up and sing that because I enjoy that. I'm wanting to be entertained. And I, I think this is spiritual of me, but it's really the same thing as I'm wanting to be entertained. I want it all cut up and served the way I like it. And so, God help me to watch my attitude. I'm talking about me. 
Because I tell you, like I've said it before, there's some of the old songs even that we sing that we need to keep singing and passing down. And there's some that are more spiritual songs and testimony songs. And there's some of them that I like them because I remember sitting by my granny and hearing her singing in her falsetto voice, you know, that high, in her high voice singing. And, and my mom was leading the song and my grandma was playing the piano. That's the way I grew up in church. And I sat by granny because I got less whippings and got less in trouble when I sat by granny. That was my great-grandma. Somehow or another, she'd give me gum too. Anyway, and kids... They're all in kid worship. But I'll tell you, when I was your age, it was a privilege to get gum. You just didn't get gum. All right, sorry. But you know, even songs like, Lord, build me just a cabin over in the corner of glory land. We always sing that song. And there came a time where I'm like, oh, come on. What are you saying? Just, I want in by the skin of my teeth. Just put me in a corner. I don't care. That's all I want. But that's actually not what the songwriter meant. Let's be fair. It's like, you know what? I would be happy with just that. I'm going to have it all. But what I want is not necessarily a mansion or streets of gold. I just want to be where you are. Okay? So it's still cool. And you can sing it. You know? So a lot of it's more, even even a song that's written, (laughs) not so good. I started to say something else, but you know what I mean? It's just not so good. Uh, You can still worship because it's it's about your heart and the God you're worshiping. Just like you hear a a cruddy sermon. You can still learn and worship God. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Okay. I thought I'd get a lot more amens on that one. But anyway... So the preaching isn't just here to entertain, you know, you. The singing isn't just to tickle our fancy. It's about God. It's, it's something bigger than us. So if you come to worship today only for what you can get out of it, and then, then really you're saying, God, focus on me. Now, we are going to get something out of it. We are. But I worry that the thing I think about at the end of the day when we say, when we leave here, is God applauding, saying, that was awesome, guys. Thank you. Now, go out there, and I'm going to work in through your life and build my kingdom. That, that's the thing. That's the focus. So, so anyway, the person of worship, that's the big thing, the big thing. Now, let's move right on because we also need to, he brought out not only the person of worship and who God is and told her a little bit about that, but the preciousness of worship. He says, God is seeking. God is seeking. In verse 23, such to worship him. That tells me that worship is precious to God because he is God and he deserves it. Jesus said the Father seeking such to worship him. Maybe the implication here is true worshipers are really kind of hard to find. So to worship God is the reason for our creation. Did you know that? That's the reason. Why am I here? To worship God. To know God and to worship God. Now, don't misunderstand this. God's not looking for worshipers because he needs them. Because one thing we find out about God in Scripture is that God really doesn't need anything. He is self-sufficient. And will still be God, and will still be just as awesome, and will still be just as glorious, whether you and I worship Him or not. God is going to have glory. God is going to be glorified. In fact, we find out, oh, 
Psalm 148. I don't know if I had that in your notes or not. Psalm 148. Go look it up sometime. Because in that psalm, he just talks about everything, praising God. He even talks about, you know, even cows, the beasts of the field, you know, the, the wind and the hail and the thunder and, and everything, you know, praising God. Uh, so all of creation, the whole universe, the sun, the moon even talks about that. All of that worships God. One time, Jesus even stopped and he said, you know, people were praising him and Pharisees, the old religious grouches, said, Tell them to be quiet. And Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth. If they didn't do it, the rocks would cry out. And so since that psalm says everything's praising God, how do you know that the bird songs aren't just praises to God? How do you know that instead of whippoorwill, whippoorwill, it's hallelujah, hallelujah. You don't know, see? That's what I'm saying is the whole creation is praising God. And, and here's the weird thing. According to the Bible, the only part of God's creation that really has a choice of whether they want to choose to worship God are human beings who were creating God's image. We're the only one that has a choice. So each individual one of us must decide in the morning, am I going to give God the worship he deserves today? Because he is seeking true worshipers, genuine worshipers. It's a reason for our creation. But also he's telling us that God desires us to choose. That's, you saw that. God desires. God is seeking such. Uh, so understand worship is a choice for us right now. He desires you to choose to worship him. And we can worship him who is holy and perfect, even though we ourselves are sinful, because that's why he sent his son to die on the cross to pay for our sins. Guess what? I'm still a long ways from where I need to be in my attitude, my mind, my thoughts, my actions, and all that. But, I, I hope, but he's doing a work. He's helping me grow in ways that I couldn't have grown by myself. And um, so that one of these days, not only has he saved me, and I know I'm saved, but he's sanctifying me. So that one of these days, whenever we leave this world, when he calls us home, when he's ready, or when he comes back, and he, you know, we're going to leave the flesh behind, the sin-cursed world, the sin-cursed body, and, and we're going to be perfect. And we're going to, you know, the Bible even talks about how God basically is going to show us off in front of the angels who didn't know what it was like to have to come under his grace and, and, and be his workmanship. He's going to, look, look, look what I did. God's going to get more glory. Uh, I said this during Sunday school. I hope you guys will understand this. Did it make sense? Why would God create the world and give human beings a free will knowing that we would use that to sin against him? Love's the reason. You don't force love. See, without that, we'd just be like that cows or birds or anything else. We'd operate on instinct. You can't make somebody love you. Love is a choice. There had to be a choice. Obviously, there was for the angels as well, and some of them fell, but their situation is permanent. But for human beings, God's plan of redemption was already in, planned out of choice. And we chose no, and we became sinners. But you know what? Here's what I was going to say. Why would God let that happen if he already knew? Did you know in the very end, God's going to get even more glory because of sin than he will with, would have without it. I know, it's kind of like, what? Sometimes you say, amen. Sometimes you say, what? Think about it. Think about a sinner like me, corrupt to the core. And God only saves me when I come to understand who he is and what he did for me. And I, I, I repented of my sin and trusted him for salvation. But then he begins to work in my soul and my mind, will, and emotions and begins to work away at me and change me. And the Bible says, where it's by grace you've been saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anybody should boast. For we are his what? Workmanship. 
That means his work of art. So in my life, he's molding and shaping me and changing me. I've got a long ways to go. But, but, but you know, he wants to show you off in front of the angel. The angel said, come here, look at this. Do you remember what a hothead, what a this or what a that? But, but look, looking more like me all the time. <laughs> got a long ways to go. And you know, that's what we were talking about, how that, like, uh, and I don't understand, because I'm not very artistic, I can't even draw good stick people. I mean, I can't, right? When, with a family, when we're playing like Pictionary or something, the only, the only grace that, saving grace I have is I'm a good guesser, right? I, I, sometimes I cheat, I know, but it's just a game, it's just a game. But, um, but I'm a good guesser, but I'm not draw, I cannot draw very good at all. Um, I don't, you probably don't need some psychoanalyst to analyze my drawing, because they would be like, this guy's insane. But um, I just, I'm not very good. But, um, so anyway, um, but what God is doing, um, it's hard for me to relate this, but, but you know, like the sculptures, I'm his work of art. Uh, his the sculpture, they say how people can, can take like a chisel and just and make something, that, it looks like somebody. How do they do that? That is amazing to me. Or like a chainsaw and this big old stump and, and, and carve it into something. How do they do that? Here's what they'll tell you, that what they're doing is they're just cutting away everything that doesn't, you know, like there's, a, there's a, a statue of this guy in there, and I'm cutting away anything that doesn't look like him. Sometimes it's painful, though, with us, because what he, this is a big old lump of something right here, and God is carving away and chiseling away everything that doesn't look like Jesus. Huh? And he doesn't give up, even when I mess up. I like that. Amen, I needed to hear that. Okay, let's, let's wrap this up, can we? Because we're talking about the preciousness. He desires us to choose. And here's the thing, here's the thing. We have the ability to choose, and we have a choice at this time, but you do understand there's coming a time when all people who have ever lived, according to the Bible, will acknowledge God and will bow their knee and will worship Him for eternity. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 10, it says that on that day of judgment, that every knee will bow, every tongue can confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Even people who don't want to believe and don't want God to be their God. And because, see, and that's what judgment is. It's not that God would send anybody to hell or anything. It's just we send ourselves there because you don't want God, don't want His authority, don't want to know him and so why would you want to be with him for all eternity he's just going to give you an eternity what you ask for in life is a big part of that okay but it says everyone will acknowledge every knee will bow so the choice we have is to worship now willingly out of love but everyone will worship him in eternity so don't misunderstand that god desires us to choose god desires but one more thing there is that god deserves it god deserves true worship Amen? He deserves it. Why? See, God not only desires true worshipers and is seeking them, but he deserves it. He wants to know how many of us understand this. Now, that doesn't make God self-centered because of who he is. Once you understand who he is and that there is none greater than God to whom he could appeal, then you realize that this whole purpose of your life and the existence of the whole universe and everything that is is to glorify God. God declares in Isaiah... Man, we've been reading in Isaiah in our worship time, in the preaching time. Powerful book. In Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to graven images. And so here's the thing. The reason why so many don't worship, even those who may come to church, is they do not worship God, is they don't really understand who He is. 
They don't really understand the person of worship, our mighty God. And that's why there's got to be a balance of these essentials. It's so necessary. If you're not in the word of God learning about him, spirit and in truth, you've got to be in his truth, the word of God learning and obeying what you learn, or you're not going to progress in your worship. You can't give God the worship he deserves if you're shallow and you stay shallow. I want to launch into the deep. I don't want to just splash around in the lagoon. I want to get out in the deep, and I want to know more. So the more I know, the more I can worship him. He deserves so much more. So if you don't worship God, you need to get this straight too. All right? Say, well, I'm just not going to worship God. Do understand this. If you do not worship God, God does not lose. You lose. It doesn't diminish God one bit because he's still God. You just don't get in on who he is, and he wants to share himself with you. And then there's the plan of worship. Because he says, you must worship in spirit and truth. Let's focus on that for just a minute. He paid the price on Calvary for your sin, so you can be saved and worship him. But I can tell you, it's so important. Now, I can't tell you. I'll tell you something. I can't tell you exactly what I'm going to do tomorrow. I don't know. But I can tell you exactly what I'm going to be doing a billion earth years from now. A billion earth years from now, I know exactly what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be worshiping and enjoying God. Amen. Hallelujah. Woo. Yeah. I'm excited about that. I have a future. And it's awesome because of him. No doubt about it. So, you know what? If that's what I'm going to be doing, I need to be doing it now. Hmm? I need to be doing that. It needs to be a way of life. If you're you're not really learning how to worship God, which is the purpose for why you're here, you're not really living. You may be existing, but you're not living. You're missing a lot. And you exist everywhere. I, I know I'm talking long, but I'm going to wrap it up. I promise when we're done. But, you know, even I was talking about even going out west, and I love visiting out in the mountains, probably be different if I lived there. But you know, it happened. I, I said something about it before I went. That first morning, going up the ski lift on that mountain, and I was by myself because my brother's dragging around and not ready to go. And, and, and it's just like, it's a beautiful morning. And I was just like the whole time, Lord, I know there's a chance that doing skiing and stuff, I could get hurt. But there again, if you're doing something that's not at least the potential that you could get hurt. Are you trying hard enough to have fun is the question. And as I get older, that changes, though. You know, I just, what is it Curtis says? I'm built for your, your, your comfort rather than speed. Okay, that's what he says. Uh, but uh, anyway, um, but, but just to thank you, Lord. Thank you. What a blessing. What a privilege. I don't deserve this, but yet you give this to me. And I enjoy, and it just becomes anything. You know, you get some of that good apple pie with ice cream on it, and that God give you the ability to eat it. And you got all these little taste buds, and you're tasting it, and you just want to break into praise. Hallelujah, Lord. I don't deserve this. I don't just eat because I'm hungry. I get to enjoy it. And then, but, but I don't want to enjoy it too much. But anyway, but anyway, uh, but thank God for all. It just, everything takes on a whole new light to you, right? Even the bad things, you know, oh boy, God's going to turn this around. He's going to bring something good out of this, and I can't wait to see what it is. Don't mean it's any fun going through it, but still you can worship. 
It's, a, it's, a, it's part of our life. So you remember the meaning of the word for worship. The meaning of the word is, is uh, it means to bow and all of that, but it literally means to pay homage or to ascribe great worth. Our word worship comes out of the old English. It means worthship. It's his worth, what he's worth. And we're realizing God's worth and who he is. And we're, we're not going to be quiet about it. And he says, so worship God in spirit. And the spirit, that is the immaterial, invisible, and eternal part of you. You can't see it, but it's eternal. This is where true worship happens and begins. We don't conjure it up physically. It will affect us physically, but it doesn't start there. So sometimes it doesn't matter what your body's doing or even what your mouth is saying. If your spirit's not worshiping, you're not worshiping. Are you getting this? Don't don't tune me out yet, please. Because Now, God doesn't ignore the body, but he doesn't start there. He starts in our spirit. It starts inside, and it flows outward. So I've got to have the right, I've got to have the right focus in my heart. And the Holy Spirit's job is to be the liaison between my human spirit and God who is spirit. But in order for the Holy Spirit to do his job, I have to yield to him. I have to yield to him, yield to God, and pursue God. In 1 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it talks about, you know, that mind is not seen. Our eyes not seen, or ear heard, all that has even entered into the mind of man with all the things that God has prepared for him. But if you read on, if you read on, he says, but his spirit has revealed them. Then he goes on about, who knows more about you than your spirit? Who knows more about God than the spirit of God? And the spirit of God dwells in you. The spirit of God is going to take the things of God and make them real to you. So that tells me you can't really understand the things of God without the spirit of God. You can't be saved without the spirit of God. And so you're yielded. Are you yielded? You've got to worship, and it starts in your spirit, aided by the Holy Spirit. But not only do we worship in spirit, but we worship in truth. That's why that at the core of everything we do has to be the Word of God. Jesus said in John 17, Lord, sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is truth. It is the Word of God. This is a foundation. So no matter what I say or what I think, it's what does the Word of God teach and what does it say. It's the absolute authority. So we worship in spirit and in truth can't have a true worship experience on Sunday and ignore his truth all week. Amen. Lord, help us. We can't gain any knowledge of God or even begin to worship him apart from his holy, infallible word. That brings us to the last thing, the purpose. It's in spirit and in truth. Both are required. Need both. Need both. Our worship must be both accurate and authentic. Accurate based in his truth. Authentic coming from the Spirit, aided by the Holy Spirit. Then it achieves its goal. The glory of God. See, some people get high in the Spirit. You know, they're high on worship. They want to shout, praise, sing, cry. Nothing's wrong with this as long as it's combined with God's truth. It's more than an emotional experience. I, I remember hearing one time a guy talking about their church. Man, boy, Lord's really done something in our church. Man, the Spirit's been just taking over our services. Our preacher ain't even preached in six weeks. Well, I knew we had a problem right there. I knew we had a problem right there because the Spirit is not going to override the Word. And what they were calling the Holy Spirit was just their own selves. So there's some that get real. And then, and then there's some groups that are right on as far as the truth. I don't know why the accent, but, you know, we're just right about everything. 
but they're not focused, they're not submitted, they're not totally filled up and overwhelmed and occupied by God. See, like the Samaritans on Mount Gerizim, man, they, they, were, they had the spirit, you know, as far as they did all kinds of crazy stuff, you know, trying to worship, but there was no truth. They were false worship. You got the Jews and some of the Pharisees back in Jerusalem, man, they had the truth, they were right on about stuff, but there's no spirit there. They were dead. Spirit and truth. Huh? Do you hear what Jesus said? Worship in spirit and truth. We need both. So you don't have to choose. You don't have to balance. God gets the glory. Yes. So true worship is this. It's when my innermost being, having received proper information about God, the truth, explodes with joy in my spirit and it comes all the way outside at the very thought of such a great and awesome God being mine. Let's pray, Father.